I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Well, you heard it here live on KSL News Radio uh, during Maria, Maria Chaleos' afternoon news. Uh, Judge Katanji Jackson, uh, now the next nominee to become uh, a Supreme Court justice. She would be the first black woman, if she is confirmed by the Senate, Dave, to take that seat. I've been reading, um, I, I came across an article from Vox, and it says there hasn't been a criminal defense lawyer on the Supreme Court in 25 years. And that's a problem. And it goes on and it talks about the dangers of a prosecutor-friendly court. And, again, it's so easy to focus on the diversity because she's the first female black uh, Supreme Court justice nominee, presumably will be the first uh, uh, to sit the bench. But I, I think that is fascinating, this diversity of thought, to have a defense attorney with that experience. Yeah. I see that being crucial on the Supreme Court. Uh, and it's so easy to be tough on crime. And I think you and I are probably both falling those oh, yeah. in the, those areas. We, so we've, like, we've looked in the mirror a few times on that, though, yeah. taking that, that tough on crime stance. Uh, I wonder what diversity of thought she would bring as a former federal public defender. We're going to yes. get with uh, Greg Scordis in just a moment. Of course, he used to be a prosecutor, now a defense attorney here in Salt Lake County. And I want to ask him these questions. Like, you know, what would she bring to the court as a former, uh, you know, somebody who's defended people who are facing, you know, years and years and years of their lives in prison? And also, she freely admitted during uh, her address today when uh, the president introduced her that she's had an uncle. 1989, uh, you know, put in prison for life for trafficking cocaine. And she also said, look, I've got family who served in law enforcement. Her brother in the Baltimore City Police Department, her uncle, uh, chief of police in Miami. Uh, she would become the first person who have represented criminals on the Supreme Court if she's confirmed. That's the caveat, right? If she's confirmed by the Senate. Since they're, they're a good marshal who retired from the Supreme Court in 1991. President Biden also highlighted something else about her. Didn't know. She has background as a trial lawyer. Um, of course, that would. I thought it was a trial judge, though, but let's listen to what the president said. She served both in public service as a federal public defender, a federal public defender, and in private law practice as an accomplished lawyer and with a prestigious law firm. If confirmed, she will join Justice Sotomayor as the only other member of the United States Supreme Court who has experience as a trial court judge, 
a critical qualification in my okay. view. Okay, that 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 was what what it was the trial court judgeship uh, that intrigued me too. There's no question that experience shapes us, and sometimes we think though that experience creates a bias. And a judge's job, I think, is so important to be able to say, yeah, I have experience. I know and I understand it and I might look at it a different way, but I can still be objective. I can still adhere to the law and what the law says. Greg, it's a good thing, I would imagine, in your view, that she has experience as a defense attorney and a former trial judge. Yeah, I think that experience is critical, Debbie, because appellate courts are are really reviewing what the trial court did. And so having experience as a trial court judge is is something that a lot of our Supreme Court justices don't have. They're mostly uh, they mostly came out of being clerks for appellate judges or doing a more sort of big, uh, uh, big corporate work, working for big law firms. But I think being on a trial court, knowing what happens in a trial gives you a, a great perspective when you're reviewing, when you're reviewing an appeal of a trial. Greg, can you give us an idea? What perhaps are some of the dangers of having a prosecutor-friendly court? Well, I, I think that's a little bit overrated, Dave, and I'll tell you why. In, in my experience, prosecutors who become judges might surprise you, and they're often a little more lenient than you might expect. And defense attorneys who become judges, because they've heard it all, they've heard all the the stories, they've heard all the BS by their own (laughs) clients for years and years, they often become a little bit tougher judges. So a prosecutor-friendly court uh, certainly sounds like, well, they're going to side with the state more than you would expect. They're They're going to rule against the defense but there, I find that most appellate judges sort of put that aside and try to do the best job that they can. So I don't really see this as a necessarily a prosecution-friendly court uh, just because people have maybe worked with the government or worked as prosecutors. Defense Attorney Greg Scordis on the line live with us right now as we continue to talk about the nomination of Katanji Jackson who was nominated by President Biden this afternoon uh, to become the next Supreme Court justice if she's confirmed by the Senate. You know, a lot of folks who have not had the, I want to say pleasure, of seeing the inside of a courtroom, um, but they don't, they're not familiar with how courts work and, and why it's important to have, um, you know, people representing those who can't afford a lawyer, like a public defender. And she was a public defender. But maybe you can speak to the importance of the role of the public defender in the criminal justice system, Greg. Well, it, it's it's critical to what we do. And, and our our Constitution provides that, a pe- that people have a right to counsel. Now, that that's not necessarily for people who are going through a divorce or people who are going through a bankruptcy or an adoption or something. But when you're facing prison, when you're facing the likelihood that you're going to go to jail or prison, our, our country provides you with an attorney. And it's worked really well. And a lot of us, myself included, uh, cut our teeth as public defenders. We, we got started as public defenders. And some of the best trial lawyers in Utah and some of the best trial court judges in Utah came from a public defender background because you're sort of thrown in with clients who you don't necessarily know. They didn't pick you. You didn't pick them. They're not paying for your services. Uh. And sometimes they don't even appreciate your services when you're a public defender. I've heard public defenders called public pretenders or whatever, which is which is just not true because they're 
some of the best trial lawyers in Utah, and and they really have to. You, you jump in on on day one. You've got clients. You've got court. Uh, you're you're in trial a lot. They probably try more cases than than any other type of lawyer, public defenders, they're going to jury trial as much as anybody. Well, and then, I think that experience is critical. Well, I was going to say, in my, from my stance, uh, just as a former journalist who's covered numerous trials, there are so many people uh, in our society who simply cannot afford an attorney. They can't afford the 150 I don't even know what you charge, $275 an hour. I mean, they can't afford it. They need somebody uh, like a Katanji Jackson who will uh, – Defend them. And I, I, I would imagine this would give you um, perspective that you're not going to get if you've only served uh, as a prosecutor. Oh, I agree. And, and if, if there aren't a lot of lawyers who have been able to work both sides. But, but even having one side of the, of, the, of the equation, even working as a public defender or working in private practice, as she did, and seeing that side of the courtroom and representing individuals and understanding what pain an individual goes through when they're facing five years in prison or life in prison or, or even uh, death. I mean, you, you, you see the human side of the court that prosecutors and sometimes judges don't appreciate. And I think that that's something that's invaluable. And I think she's going to be a great justice, although it appears that the Republicans are lining up quite squarely against her, so it's going to be a close case. She's going to need every single Democrat to come to the table and and, and vote for her nomination. I think what is so uh, fascinating about this election in particular is I, I was just helping my daughter with her, her uh, U.S. Gov homework, homework, and it was really 1963, Gideon versus Wainwright, where it was decided that if you cannot afford a lawyer – then a lawyer will be given to you, that that is a fundamental right guaranteed by the Constitution. And the the idea that it, it was the Supreme Court ruling that made that happen, there, there's a beautiful um, parallel with Judge Jackson's experience in the past and, and really what the Supreme Court has meant. Yeah, and I think we do that better in America than any other country. We provide people with competent counsel people that can't afford a lawyer, if the government's going to take somebody's liberty away from them, they're going to put them in jail or prison or, or worse, uh, our Constitution and our country provides that that individual has a competent lawyer to help them through that. And I think it's huge. And it's made it so that our criminal justice system, and some people might disagree with this, but I think it's the best in the world, the way we do things in America. Greg Scordis, thank you for joining us. Um, in fact, Senator Mitt Romney... Issued a statement. I uh, just caught his Twitter right now. I just tweeted this. Judge Katanji Brown Jackson is an experienced jurist, uh, Senator Romney said, and I know her historic nomination will inspire many. He says they look forward to meeting in person with Judge Jackson, thoroughly reviewing her record and testimony and evaluating her qualifications during this process. Straight ahead, uh, Dave, I'm looking forward to diving into the conversation you just had this is fascinating to me. You know, we've covered so much about the conflict in Ukraine, the war in Ukraine, Russians shelling Ukraine. Well, I want to talk about this. Why Russia is sanction proof. Straight ahead. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do 
when a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.